Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 11, Triangle. I'm your host, uh, monster expert Dennis St. John, and uh, we have with us this week uh, guest cartoonist Joey Weiser, author of the new graphic novel, Ghost Hog. Hi, everybody. We're happy to have you on. Why don't the rest of you guys introduce yourself uh, from most recent to least recently used foreign currency? I mean, I used British pounds yesterday. I hope it's, it's not foreign to me. Oh, I didn't actually introduce myself. I'm John. I'm on the show often. I, I'm Travis. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> I was recently in Europe, so that's probably me next. Right. And uh, my name is Mike. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer up to season five, episode 11. And I went to uh, Europe last summer and I used euros. Well done, everyone. <laughs> all right uh so joey before we begin um why don't you introduce yourself uh by ways of saying how much do you know buffy okay uh yeah my experience with buffy is scattered i'd say uh i was a big fan of the movie when i was a kid uh, and i watched that several times and then i remember when the tv show came out i had a little bit of that like this isn't my buffy like uh disconnect and so I watched a little of it. Like I saw, like some of my friends watched it, so I would see it from time to time. But I wasn't like invested uh, in it so much. And then I had a pretty weird experience with it in college, where my girlfriend at the time liked to have stuff on while she was working, and so she was looking for something to watch, and she grabbed a roommate of ours had the entire final season on DVD, and so she watched all of that. And then she when she was done with that, she was like, well, I'm kind of curious to see what led to there. So instead of going back to season one, she picked up the previous season to that and then she kept doing that and watched it seasonally backwards. Uh, and so I, you know, watched it. I, and so living with her, too, I would kind of come in and out of the room as she was watching it or sometimes I'd be working, too. And like, um so I would see bits and pieces of it and be extra confused because things were moving backwards. And I'd be like, wait, these people don't get along now. What's going on? <laughs> we should call this like Benjamin buttoning a TV show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Episodes in order, but then seasonally backwards. Yeah, is, is a weird uh, way to do it. But that's uh, and, and then even more scattered is the way that I ended up watching it. So you can call uh, it Buffy in retrograde, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had never seen this episode before, though, so this was the first oh, time cool. for me. You missed this one in the rewind viewing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and where can people find your stuff, And including uh, if people like your voice, where can they hear more of you? Yeah, uh, they can, you know, follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, I have a and tragic-planet.com is is my like homepage, but then I do uh, graphic novels, um, mostly like 
all ages or kids uh, graphic novels, but that, like I said, they're kind of uh, geared so that everyone can enjoy them. Uh, my most recent book is called Ghost Hog. Um, and I also did the Merman graphic novel series, which people may be familiar with. Uh, Ghost Hog, I have a copy of right here. Da, da, da. Um, and um, and uh, also, I do some podcasting. Uh, I have a podcast that I co-host called Toho Yaro, which is a Japanese film club podcast with a name that amused us, but it was kind of difficult to describe. <laughs> uh, but Toho, Toho is like the film studio. And then Yaro is like guys or jerks or whatever um, uh, in Japanese. And so, yeah, every month we pick a movie and, and watch it and talk about it uh, pretty in depth. Uh, so I recommend for folks just trying it out to maybe find a movie that they've seen before or are interested in and starting with that one. And then uh, if they like it, kind of dip into ones that they're less familiar with and stuff like that, because we do spoilers and all that stuff. Cool. All right. It's all making sense, Dennis. It's all making sense why Joey's here. <laughs> yeah, we have a fellow uh, like uh, Godzilla and Kaiju love for sure. Yeah, totally. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, move on. Let's uh, start the podcast. Uh, let's uh, start with reactions. Audience reactions. This week we're going to do reactions to family. At Ren and Oz said, um, uh, being mindful and sensitive to pronoun choice, uh, you guys are so great. Uh, thank you for being your progressive, empathetic, open selves. Uh, so was, that's a super nice thing to say. <laughs> um, that was, uh, in, uh, we had a cartoonist, uh, Maya Kobabe on, um, and I think we tried our best to be good about pronouns. Um, I don't think we slipped up on the show. I slip up in real life sometimes, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, and at Ren and Oz also says, uh, also as a fellow older sister, I too am firmly team Don. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know. Do you, uh, Joey, do you feel like you're team Don or, or anti Don? Uh, I don't have, uh, much memory of Don <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> She's, she seems fine. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't remember her from the early seasons, that's actually normal. <laughs> yeah there's that weird place like right after season five where she completely disappears from the show and she's not there for the next few seasons are you saying after because he watched it out of order yes yes that was the yeah. joke i was attempting to make <laughs> thank you for explaining it dennis yeah okay well that might uh explain why i didn't have a super strong attachment to that character in particular. <laughs> and uh Geraint thatcher or garant i don't know how to pronounce his name um, so sorry. Uh, this episode was an ABC plot that missed out B. The gang uh, don't know any more about Tara at the end from the start, but suddenly she's family. And then this emoji. Yeah. Good. Point. Yeah, because there's a lot of internal stuff happening with Tara that the gang doesn't like isn't involved in. I'm glad someone put, you know, like plus ones that because I agree. I mean, that was my that was my challenge with that episode was that Tara didn't deserve to be. Um, they they were missing that. We wanted to see a little bit of growth on that on the, on the part of the Scoobies, not to just jump right into it. The family, but it feels good. It's just well, missing the story. I know, but the counterpoint is you don't have to like totally understand a story to to accept someone into your into your circle. Like you don't have to, you know, have the master's thesis about why this person was like persecuted. I mean, they they emotionally could tell like this is a good person. They're being targeted. They don't deserve it. 
we'll figure out the full story later. That's my guess. Yeah, I mean, I even like how Anya in this episode kind of addresses that kind of idea of when you come into a friend group, because mm. she is like, you're going to turn. She's talking to Willow and talking about how Willow can like turn Xander against her because she was there since they were kids and she can't even ever get into that relationship. And so like there's that just in the order of you, someone you have like power over that person's opinion of another person, like that kind of trickling order. And like Tara's come in so late. It's like she she can't precept her way back to season one. There's no way. You're right. You're right. I mean, thank you, Travis. All right. Uh, but people might not know what we're talking about because we haven't heard a summary yet for this episode. So let's do that. The summary. Uh, so, Mike, what do you think the summary is going to be? About triangle. Why is it called triangle? Because it's a love triangle. It's barely a love triangle. Love triangle, love triangle. Everybody loves a love triangle. What's it like? He sounds like child. Love triangle. He dated a troll and now he's wrecked. Did you really have sex with Shrek? When he's in town, no regrets. Love triangle. Awesome. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Mike. That was a great summary. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's move on to great lines. Great lines. I've decided that for my great lines, I'm going to stop picking the funny ones and do the poignant ones. I like when uh, what? Tara says, uh, Willow always says things happen for a reason. And Buffy says, uh, you ever notice people only say that when bad things happen? <laughs> I just, I really, I love that because uh, things happen for a reason is the worst thing to say to somebody who's going through a hard time. It's awful. And people still say it and uh, they're the worst. Yeah, but it's really weird to, to uh, imagine someone saying that to somebody who had something really great happen to them too. You're like, yeah. oh, congratulations. <laughs> things always happen for a reason. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be an amazingly dismissive way of like, not congratulating somebody like, oh, I won an award. <laughs> Things happen for a reason. Um, I liked Anya. This is obviously an Anya heavy episode. I liked um, so many good Anya lines. Yeah. Anya telling Giles, you're going away for a week. That's great. And, uh, and then later on, she says to Willow, I know what broke up him and Cordelia. Your lips. <laughs> or you, you, know, you and your lips. So great. Yeah, the, the like the anger chemistry between uh, yeah. those two actresses is really intense. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And Anya was totally in the right this entire episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we can get into that the later, <laughs> but like she was, Willow was taken up like the Cordelia season one space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you could be confused <laughs> about what's <laughs> going on with that. Here's a, uh, yeah. Willow's such a mess. Um, yeah, I love the line. Buffy um, and Don have a moment, and um, Buffy says, "Stop being insightful. It's creepy." <laughs> that was so good. 
Uh, I like the when uh, Xander suggests Spike fight the troll. Uh, he responds, yeah, I could do that, but I'm paralyzed by not caring very much, which uh, made me laugh and also kind of accentuated Spike's uh, angsty teen qualities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's totally trapped in angsty teen mode. This up. <laughs> I also really liked his earlier line when the troll is like, where do you, where can I be- get babies? And he's like, what do you think, hospital? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I chose the troll line. Um, what are you fighting for, minuscule blonde one? Your friends? These two? They'll never last. Anyanka is very difficult to live with, and he is ludicrous and far too breakable. <laughs> Their love will never last. <laughs> yeah, love uh, measured by breakableness. Yeah. <laughs> What what is this like generic old old timey accent? Like, what are you fighting for, minuscule oh, blonde one? I mean, like it feels like that's like its own weird generic accent. Yeah, like, no, I I love this troll. He this guy has a great like uh, Ren Fair energy, is what I would yes. call it. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really like feels like that guy is having a blast like playing this guy. <laughs> Like he paid to get in on this. Like, yeah, yeah. Paint me green. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I looked at the actor. He's in a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff. He was on X Files. He was on Xena. Was he on Xena? Uh, I don't know, but um, he was on ER, which is where I actually recognized him from. Yeah, you might be able to recognize him out of makeup from a long series on ER. And Parker Lewis can't lose. Abraham Ben Ruby. Yeah, he's really great. And he played a teenage Dan in a flashback episode of Roseanne. When Dan was uh, calling for ale, yeah. throwing <laughs> chairs. I, I believe that John Goodman could kick an entire keg like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get into weird notices and trivia, I'm going to give the kill count. The kill count. We have one confirmed vampire. Multiple injured, but no confirmed deaths from the bronze. But I will call it eight destroyed inanimate objects, which I wrote down as counting the magic box as one, two cars, a lamppost, a dumpster, a mailbox. Uh, I'm counting the keg as destroyed and the bronze. Beauty receptacle. (laughs) (laughs) So much smashing did happen. Frick, how many times has the bronze been destroyed? Frick, I wish we kept count of that. (laughs) Yeah, we totally should have, yeah. But this is a serious destruction. This is, like, up to the next level. <laughs> At this point, though, I really don't feel sorry for people who go to the bronze and end up, like, being chased by a monster. It's like, you know what you're Yeah, you should for. know. You should know. I'm kind of disappointed that we don't see teenagers at the bronze. Like, now everyone is older. Oh, they just aged up the bronze. <laughs> like, you know, like, there should be, like, children at the bronze. Yeah, let's do uh, weird noticings and trivia. Weird Noticings. All right, is it just me or is this the same convent location as I think it was in the Thanksgiving episode? Right? Didn't didn't the uh, didn't the Native American, the Indigenous American, get resurrected and like attack or go to some convent or go to some church? There was that, a church. Yeah, it looked like this. The set kind of looked really similar. Have we seen the set before? Or am I just crazy? Uh, no, it looks familiar to me. That's a good call. I don't know. If anyone, listeners, thinks this looks familiar, just let us know what episode you think it's from. Because I feel like a real sense of deja vu that's unrelated to the fact I've seen the 
uh, Buffy episodes many times. <laughs> How many nunneries does uh, Sunnydale we need have? To put, we need to put a, the convent on the Buffy map. That's what I've got to say. So we've got to add it as a location if it wasn't on a, as a location yet. Yeah, that way when we're playing our RPG of Sunnydale, we can be like, get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I just want to point out that after the events of the last episode, that Riley is no longer in the opening credits. Cut him out. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> goodbye, Iowa. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be great if he like popped in on the credits of the A team or something for just an episode or whatever the show would be at this time in like 2002, like whatever the military dude show. He should. He should show he, if 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 there was ever a god. That guy, that character should have shown up on Alias, which was like kind of the same time frame. And it's also like a spy show about the supernatural. Mm. The, uh, crossing the J.J. Abrams to Joss yeah. Whedon line. Yeah. <laughs> Going from a good show to a terrible show. I love Alias, <laughs> but I don't like J.J. Abrams. That'd be rad. All it would be like uh, Garner passing a basketball, like in like a training montage. And then you got oh, Mark Lucas grabbing the ball. Boom. That's all I would need. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. Giles is taking petty cash out of the cash register. <laughs> How is the cash going to add up? I mean, the register's not going to zero out at the end of the night. This is like the most basic shopkeeper 101. It's like, don't let people steal. Open on time. Keep the register. Like, it's got to account. It's got to account for goods in to goods out. But, yeah. but Willow disintegrated it twice, so I don't think it's going to add up anyway. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad, Travis, you brought this up because that bothers me every time I see it. That's such a like, I've never, like, a, yeah, a shopkeeper would never do that. Like, unless it was a comic shop because those are run so poorly. Like, Also, is, was that the only money he ever had? I mean, d- did he not have a credit card or a checkbook or a bank account? I mean, was that like literally the only money that guy had? <laughs> yeah. Is that? He grabbed like three bucks from the till and he's like, this will see me to England. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even the right currency. He's going to have to convert it. It's for it's for a snack in the airport. We know he's flying direct uh, because Sunnydale is an international airport. Well, that's how his girlfriend, his girlfriend flew direct before she would mysteriously died off screen. It's my guess. We haven't seen her in forever. She's got she's I'm certain she's dead. Oh, man. So early, this this is like the beginning of the episode. So these this were these early scenes required a few moments of kind of readjusting for me uh, to the sort of Joss Whedon style dialogue where everyone's very quippy and there's it's um, you know sometimes I would categorize it as overwritten in in ways um, and it's a thing that I I don't I'm not super into and 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 a thing that I've kind of bristled against in the past where I feel like. Uh, there's like a style of TV writing where they kind of cheat of getting away from making it sound like a character is uh, blatantly doing, um, what do you call it, uh, exposition by, instead of them saying, this is who I am and this is how I feel, you get a second character to say, this is who you are and this is how you feel. But like, um, but I will say, I totally understood the function of it, watching it uh, this this way, uh, especially keeping in mind that this was written for TV uh, so many years ago. Uh, with the idea that people would be just jumping in in the middle of it, um, like I am, um, I pretty instantly like understood exactly who everyone is and what their relationships to one another were, and give it gave me like ideas of what their personalities were exactly, and I was able to jump on board. So it really like um, gave me a kind of new appreciation for it, for sure. Uh, I remember first 
kind of bristling about it. I think it's at the very, very beginning when it's uh, Xander and Anya in the bed, and they're kind of like quipping back and forth with each other. And and I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> but uh, but by the end of it, I definitely like kind of like had gotten on board and and gotten into the sort of like wavelength of the show and uh, appreciated a lot more. Nice. Yeah, I think we've very deeply adjusted to it. So mm-hmm. like. <laughs> Uh, the point where it's like not as noticeable for us. Um, but I find like, I think Buffy has influenced my own writing way too much mm. to the point, like as a cartoonist, like one of the things I, I, I try to do is like, I don't have, I, you know, you don't want to have that much dialogue on your page. Cause you don't want your comic page to look like it's all words. So it's like the Joss Whedon style of writing is like the exact opposite of that. So <laughs> Yeah, it's closer to Alan Moore, right? Would you say Joss Whedon style? <laughs> and I, I, I'm sort of like conflicted about how I feel about it because like on one hand you say this isn't the way that people talk, but then on the other hand it's like, well, that's the purpose of in some ways of like writing fiction and stuff is to kind of like, I, I like stylized things. And so, and I think it's just, uh, it's, it's just a different kind of writing for a different kind of product, I guess is the way to look yeah. at it. I really like how you, um uh, articulated that Joey that's really great because i think that is something that bothers me about Joss's writing that i've just i'm now completely brainwashed and it's great i love <laughs> it but like i really appreciate you know coming in and saying like yes it is a very stylized com- communication and that's that is totally what's fun about the show is that mm-hmm. other world that fictional world that people don't talk like that but then because of the influence of the show now people want to talk like that and then reinforces reinforces that in reality I know when I hang out with Travis, I feel like I maybe I'm I, I'm I'm like not sure what Buffy episode he's referencing or he's making it up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> is that a quote? Yeah. What is this from? <laughs> minor minor correction. The uh, this episode is written by Jane Espenson. Yeah. Uh, so what, what I was what Josh. I was gonna bring what well, yeah what I was gonna bring up is that the Buffy the series and Angel the series have a really strong. Um, like consistent voice. And so that's what's neat about what you say, because I was going to tell you, this wasn't written by Joss Whedon, but his, the fact that he was the producer and the showrunner has had such a strong impact that all the different writers, there's like a house, there's, there's a, it's kind of like a house sound Mm -hmm. or like a a specific taste of wine that comes from a winery. It it all like comes up to this level of like the, the Joss voice. So all the writers have adopted it from, from his writing and, you know, he's the showrunner. So, it's just interesting that like you drop into any episode, you feel that uh, way of writing, even though he didn't write it, he didn't direct it. It's it's nice. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't literally mean. Yeah, yeah. The, like from his pen to the to the screen, but um, you know, or keys to the screen. But like, I yeah, I, I yeah, the style that I think he sort of dictates to some extent, and um, that's what makes the show unique uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, so speaking of dialogue, um, when Buffy says like. Uh, the breaking up with Riley feels like the end of the world. Like that, that's either an odd or an apt comparison for somebody who has like literally experienced multiple apocalypses. <laughs> like she's not like comparing it to nothing. She's like, this feels like that time hell opened up or like. <laughs> I'm shocked how untrustworthy Willow is this episode. I know that we're all used to Willow, like kind of getting spells wrong, right? That's kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like you expect Willow's spell, it's like fifty eh, percent, maybe ninety percent wrong, bad spell. <laughs> but she is t- terrible this episode. <laughs> she actively undermines Anya. 
right? She's yeah. she is stealing. She's like she's she's like Giles won't mind. Like what? Who does she's deciding how Giles feels? I'm like so bothered by all this behavior because I, for whatever reason, I need her to be more honorable. Mm. Yeah, well, she's. Of, I mean, she's definitely gone from the bullied to the bully. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I remember liking Willow as a character, so I definitely like started this episode on her side, and was kind of surprised to find myself being like, "Well, that's not really great. Uh, what she's doing here." <laughs> <laughs> My sense of injustice is just all like I it was just highly it's just triggered by this episode because like I don't think that, you know, Buffy can survive because she has friends like we've that's been well established in the show now that Buffy's the difference between her and previous slayers. But like apparently just having friends, you know, it doesn't matter how talented they are because like Mm -hmm. Buffy and Tara are huge liabilities and have been. And now like, whoa, this just went up a notch and how much of a liability, you know, Willow is as a partner. You know, she takes no responsibility and she gaslights on you. Anyway, I just, the, the things are going on are crazy. Like, if you're playing a video game, right? Like, I think Willow is like straight up, like, if she's hit the switch where she can hit, you can hit your play, fellow players, right? She's like, <laughs> yeah, she's in friendly fire mode. Yeah, like whatever, the PvP mode. Like, it's fucked. Yeah, speaking of her stealing, uh, in one of those scenes where she's practicing uh, uh, a spell and she's like floating something, some sage or something. Uh, there's a part where then Anya smacks it down. And I, I I remember being pretty shocked by that being like, wow, because you see it wobble a little bit. And I'm like, this is practical effects. Like it, it was actually kind of shocking to see uh, her actually like touching a floating thing and pushing it down on the table and stuff. Uh, so that was fun. Yeah, this is back when like th- having things hung up by wires was easier than like fully <laughs> rendering something. Yeah, yeah. John, John, what's this Tony's head link? Okay, so if you look at the if you look at the screenshot in the bottom, so uh, this is a good one for seeing. If you are watching in HD, uh, you can start to make out some of the labels uh, on these uh, jars and things that are behind the cash register counter, uh, and they all apparently have like in joke Easter egg names on them. Although they were never intended to be read on screen, it's only in mm. HD that you can kind of start to read one, some of them. So in the upper left hand corner, you can just barely make out that one of the jars is labeled Tony's Heads. There's <laughs> a, a reference to uh, Anthony Stewart head who plays Giles. And apparently there was a number of these. So I Googled it and it, it, uh, it is known apparently that there's a number of them. Uh, there are also apparently somewhere in there, there's Boreana's beads, uh, charisma <laughs> charms. Uh, that makes sense. Charisma charms. And I think if you read uh, in that same screenshot, bottom right hand corner, there's something down there called wonderful world of Oz. Oh Yeah. <laughs> And there's something I think you can see somewhere else. There's something crystal, but crystal spelled with a K. Uh, the other half of the label is obscured by somebody's shoulder, but I th- I'm assuming that's like Kazooie crystals or something. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to see what's in that jar of Tony's heads, but they do look yeah, kind right. of round, so they could be like shrunken <laughs> heads or something. But uh, Anthony Stewart head has a very large head, and these would be pretty small. <laughs> Speaking of magic... Yeah, so at the start of this episode, we have Buffy training in a combat training room, right? Like, this has been joked about as the danger room. They clearly need a place for Willow to legit, like, she needs a place to practice magic. Mm -hmm. There is a need for this. Like, she is practicing magic in the front of the store, on the (laughs) store counter. You could not pick a worse place to practice magic (laughs) at the magic box. She needs a Willow witch room. Right. What would be safe though? Like, c- given that the stakes are that you may like conjure up a, a giant troll that like breaks through walls, 
what where would you go like a like a, a bomb testing facility like, there we go so, yeah fallout well, shelter the remnants of uh the initiative <laughs> yes like i think some kind of area where you have like a balcony and then you can cast magic into a pit that's maybe bottomless and then like cameras and traps and then like three armed guards with you know like various guns that can you know armor piercing troll piercing whatever just like a variety of weapons um and like counter spells ready to go maybe like a wizard like you know who's figured this shit out is you know wolfram and hart not to throw an angel thing but like they they have fucking figured out how to deal with magical people right they have like these anti-vampire guards ready to like pop a stake out anytime like will is just casting magic willy-nilly like yes they're surrounded with others you know ingredients and potions but like that's not that's not a remediation technique like we know something will go wrong with her spells we know it now she's it's goofy and fun but like they should really have thought like of a plan because when things go wrong and they're they're living in this terrible world where they assume like (laughs) where like they haven't really accepted that magic exists If they accepted that it exists and they accepted that Willow is not good at it, then they would do some kind of remediation for it, but they haven't fully done. It's still just like a fun thing. Anyway, this is, that's all. I'm curious where (laughs) they're, they're, uh, how they're paying these part-time or full-time guards that they've got on staff. Well, then maybe you can't be a wizard then. Maybe Uh, she needs to go to a wizard's (laughs) college where that is partially paid for by the university to have access to kind of institutions Mm -hmm. like that. But this is what happens when you're like DIY, do it from home you know, from a correspondence or a book. I had a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. Yeah. I got very (laughs) passionate about that. (laughs) Never take a correspondence class. That's not what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Yeah. Let's talk uh, sensitivity, John. Yeah. I just, I just really love one element of this episode. I really love is, is Buffy's post breakup sensitivity. Because uh, when you're all when you're when you're all just like you've just been dumped, you have that sort of like no skin where everything just gets to you and like mm-hmm. really trite songs like make you cry or like you, she's like suddenly really worried about her friends over the, like the drop of a hat and she cries about it and it gives her like the emotional strength to beat up the troll at the end. It's great. I really like that that element of it and I also like that Buffy's like aware of it. Like she knows that it's trite and she knows that she has this like sort of like cliche. Uh, experience of being of of breaking up and she talks about it kind of openly and i just i just like that element of it and i like that it's not the point of the episode it's just there i think that's cool yeah i like that she's able to talk about it and not express a lot of emotions personally until it becomes somebody else's thing and then it's like the floodgates open (laughs) (laughs) and she like allows herself to uh yeah so on a scale of like pro wrestling to like seriously dangerous combat this episode's combat is like full-on pro wrestling level because like xander gets hit on the head by a hammer that we told is super it's like a, a tough troll hammer i mean and i'm it, i basically treating this hammer like it's mjolnir right yeah i mean they put it on the counter and it like smashes through the glass right i mean i don't that may just happen anyway but i, I don't know how heavy a hammer of that but it gives them be. super strength it feels yeah. like it's like a mjolnir level like yeah it's like a superman they, they say it's got magic powers Okay, so Xander gets a solid plink on the head, right? And then he gets up. He should be dead, right? Right, Dr. Yeah. Travis? This is a Dr. Travis question. So this <laughs> relates also to a follow-up question. Yes, he, he definitely should 
he should have a serious head injury and have to be taken to the hospital. <laughs> the other inconsistency is that the troll clearly breaks his wrist in the episode. Oh, true. And then at the end of the episode, it's not broken. Like it, it's, it, it, there's no ambiguity the way they, they model the motion and, and how the wrist moves and, and the force. Uh, so, yeah, he definitely should have been taken to the I mean, he, he, he probably should die. He should definitely die after being hit in the head with the hammer. My favorite Clearly. of his injuries is the one where he just runs full on into the hammer that's oh, yeah. just standing still. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that that alone probably could have killed him. Well, it's all obviously it's all tone, right? I mean, like this is a comedy episode, so the the physics go a little bit wily e. coyote. And in another episode, like you know, like the previous one, like if some if the same thing happened in the previous episode, somebody would go to the hospital. It's just uh, you know, story logic, right? Insane troll logic. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, they're literally playing music that you would like find in the comedy music section, yeah. playing like on the bed on this stuff, you know? So I, I get that. I was just, I was, I went from being very worried about Xander because the stakes felt really high to not caring. Right. And it just like them, the plink on the head and then like, you know, being forced to make a choice or whatever. Like, it's like, no, this doesn't matter now. Uh, so I just wanted to point out some continuity questions that I think Trav even brought up back in season three about whether Anya can drive or not. Uh, cause in season is in season three, she drives out of Sunnydale and now she doesn't know how to drive at all. So just, you know, a little continuity. Well, she knows how to do it as long as it's only by gesturing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's the dream is the, uh, end of season four dream. Anya learns how to drive. <laughs> uh. Side note, I think I'm going to learn how to drive. Oh, dang. What? That's crazy. Well, actually, that's that makes a lot of sense. Only because the only reason that it makes sense is because you've <laughs> never driven in the United States. Yeah. So you're never going to have to learn a different system. So uh, for our listeners, John is the only person I've ever met who got his forklifter's driver's license before <laughs> his car driver's license. Hey. What were you forklifting, John? I was working at, the, at uh, Big Red Liquors in Bloomington, Indiana, and oh, they God. wanted me to be able to operate the forklift to uh, unload trucks of beer. Uh, and then when they saw how I handled the forklift, they didn't really seem too keen on me doing that anymore. <laughs> uh, so I love the reveal that the giant troll is Anya's ex. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, that's so brilliant. Uh, like, uh, I'd love to see some of that domesticity. <laughs> it's a really nice twist but it's a little M. Night Shyamalan in that if you play it back it doesn't quite work like if then you watch just, Anya's he just reaction, happened <laughs> yeah, if you watch Anya's reaction when he appears that is not a look of recognition <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't, doesn't work on repeat viewings but it's an excellent twist alright that's uh, interesting I never thought about looking at like the strict continuity of that uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I feel like this is the most smashed up the bronze has ever gotten. But that's not the most people killed at the bronze. It's just the, no. most, the bronze has been destroyed. I think fatalities either belong to the harvest or to doppelgang land. Yeah. That's a straight up murder scene. Yeah. <laughs> so Xander's line, uh, that's insane troll logic is definitely an expression that I've adopted into real life. Uh, <laughs> great. Uh... <laughs> Especially now in this part of the 21st century, I can use all the time. Uh, right, yeah. When this episode was made, troll just pretty much meant troll. Yeah. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. I thought about that. 
Yeah, if this episode aired now, there'd be a scene where the troll gets on the internet. <laughs> oh, they couldn't help themselves. They would have to throw in a dad joke like that. Yeah. Uh, so we know that... What are people's opinions about the Watcher Council, just generally up to this point? Like, bad, right? Like, the Watcher yeah. Council is bad? Yeah. Yeah? Why is Giles going to England to involve the Watcher Council? I agree. It seems sketchy. But on the other hand, his point is that it's about their resources, right? They've got the best library. They've got the most experts. And so, like, I do think that there is sometimes when you have to call in uh, a morally ambiguous authority in order to deal with the situation. Like, they're, like, you know, depending on where you live, it's often not a good idea to call the cops because you don't know what's going to make a bad situation worse. That said, there are some situations that are so bad when you don't really have a choice. Um, I feel like this might be a little bit like that. I would like the stakes set appropriately if that's what's being considered is the ambiguity of the relationship. But I don't feel like the stakes are being considered. I think Giles is making a choice that he's like, I'm the smart one, so I'll decide this. I, I don't think the Watchers Council is morally ambiguous. I think they are definitely bad people doing bad things to good people all across the world. And I would say if Giles was a good person or a hero, the next time he went to the Watchers Council would be to blow it the fuck up. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he's like, he's acting like someone who got dumped and wants to rebound with the Watchers Council because they got all the, they got money, they got the power, they got the books. <laughs> I mean, Giles is himself the morally ambiguous one, morally ambiguous. Watchers Council bad. Giles is basically bad too. And it's a bad idea for him to go back. It clearly is. There's, there's no two ways about it. And he's smiling and he's giddy and he's like, ooh. And it's like, he's only, he's only acting that way because they didn't try to kill Giles. I agree. I don't like this Watcher Council relationship at all. And I don't like that this show thinks it's cool for him to do that. I think it like is mind bending that this show wants to gaslight us about the utility of the Watcher Council. Plus they're terrible at their jobs. It's not like the Watchers Council has cracked one fucking case on Buffy or Angel. They can't crack an egg, man. Angel. They tried to kidnap Faith and Buffy. They and they fail not- miserably at everything they do. He should go to a junior high school and do some research. He'd get more out of it. <laughs> anyway, I'm just annoyed that, that there's like, that to me felt like the darkest reveal on the show is that Giles comes back and like, oh, I met with the Watcher Council, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what did you just do? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, yeah, we knew that's why he was going to England. Um, but it, they are putting Don right in the crosshairs, which is crazy. Um, also, he goes to England to the Watcher's Council and finds out Diddley's Diddley Squat. Like Diddley Squat. <laughs> Didn't find out Jack. Jack of Jack. Right. It would make sense for him to go to Watchers Council if they gave him gold or money or like a super weapon or if they'd ever been good at anything in their lives. Then you'd be like, yeah, got to go. You go to the top brass, you know, even if they're the bad guys, if the top, you know, if the if the if the secret organization had like the kryptonite to kill glory. Sure, they're evil, but they're less evil than glory. Do it. I mean, maybe that happens. Maybe this is a setup for a future episode. I don't know. I expect Ben and Glory to be like. Good, the Watcher Council are here to help us destroy Buffy. Yeah, to cut a deal, cut a deal with the Watcher's Council for Buffy. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe this all belongs in predictions. 
uh, TV rule. Never talk about someone when they are in the house. Um, <laughs> I'm talking yes. about like, uh, I can't believe Don this and that. Uh, like she just walks down the stairs and hears it. That's crazy. Wait until she's gone. Wait until she's at school. That is, that is on them entirely. Yeah. Not even TV <laughs> rule. That's a good like real life rule too. <laughs> that That's like the reason I can never watch Frasier is because like Frasier and Niles are always talking shit about who's ever in the next room. And he lives <laughs> in an open floor plan. And it just like, it drives me crazy. I can't. <laughs> That is the entire premise of the show, though. You can't really, yeah. like... That's why it. I don't watch it. That's why I don't watch it. They're always in the kitchen talking about who's ever sitting at the in the uh, dining room. Dude, I, I rewatched a bunch of that show, and that show is nothing but wall-to-wall slut-shaming of Roz. That's the entire yeah. show. Oh, boy. And I did not remember that from the 90s. I was like, holy crap, that's the whole show. Oh. It's really, really awful. Wow. That show does not hold up. Oh, man. I know. I want to go back for one episode. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, the show where we talk about Fraser. (laughs) (laughs) Fraser Virgin. Um, Yeah, well, I I, overall, I thought this was a really fun episode. Uh, It was a good one for me to jump in without really much experience because there wasn't a lot of like lore to keep up with or anything. Um, You know, personally, I wasn't as so invested with the Buffy breakup stuff uh, just because I, like I said, I'm not kind of caught up with the storyline, but. Um, I did find it relatable, like the stuff that they were talking about. I could still kind of like relate with it. But the whole time, whenever they were in one of those scenes, I was like, let's get back to the troll action, because that was what I was really like enjoying watching for sure. Yeah, totally. The troll time. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> All right. Let's move on to questions for the group. Questions for the group. I'm going to start it off with, hey, Joey, uh, what's your comic about? Oh, my comic, Ghost Hog, published by yeah. Oni Press. Again, flashing it for the camera. Um, yeah, so uh, Ghost Hog is about the ghost of a young boar who uh, is kind of grappling with wanting to haunt and get revenge against the hunter that took her life. And along the way meets uh, other kind of fantasy creatures like forest spirits and an evil mountain demon that's causing trouble around where she lives. And her adventure kind of goes from there. It's a it's a fantasy story with a bit of a darker element, just with by virtue of the fact that the main character's dead, right? Um, but um, it's kind of in a similar kind of fun action fantasy realm as my previous uh, graphic novels, uh, if anyone's familiar with those. So yeah, um, I definitely hope folks will check it out. There was a free comic book day issue uh, that you might be able to still find copies of, and there's samples on my website and stuff. Nice. Cool. cool. And uh, what kind of age range would you say it's for? Uh, the publisher puts it at middle grade, which is like kind of upper elementary, like third through fifth grade. But honestly, I have readers younger than that, as well as readers older than that. Uh, but that's the kind of like target target. Cool. Yeah. It, if there's a sequel, can it be called uh, Way of the Hammer Eye? <laughs> Uh, it, it could. <laughs> Am I the first one to make that pun? No, I'm sorry. You're not. <laughs> I do edits for a cartoon now, mm. and I have the problem of like, like so many of the jokes I throw out get like groans. I'm like, <laughs> That's how you know they're working, man. Those are good. I, I'm into the, I'm into puns and and what people call dad jokes and stuff. I like it. Me too. I don't know why it gets so much hate <laughs> from Michael. 
Uh, look, you got to provide value up front, then you can make your dad joke. You can't start with the dad joke, and then now you're like, you're underwater trying to get back up into like where the people are. So like, you just can't, you can't start with the dad joke. Dennis, technically, you just need to have an imaginary family and then people will start accepting your dad jokes. If you carried a baby, <laughs> like a like a prop baby, like a doll, and then picked it up and started saying oh, dad man. jokes, people that would be, be like, some really next level. Like, it's like, oh, this is a dad joke. He's holding his doll again. He's cradling his doll. Because <laughs> oh. the real like purpose of the dad jokes is to make your children upset, right? Like to make right. them groan. Because <laughs> everybody is totally fine with child trolling. Mm. Like as a, as a culture, I think we're all fine. Yeah. Agreed. yeah, they deserve it. It's because they'll replace us. Yeah. So as I was writing this question, I felt like I was going to lose all feminist credibility, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am unqualified to ask this question, but let's imagine a world where after a breakup, every woman thinks about becoming a nun. Let's just say that's true. What about you? What are you thinking about post-breakup? Are you monastery? Are you going there? Oh, that's what this question means. <laughs> I'm on my own planet. All right. Um, uh, I will say that I think that there's a thing that happens right after a breakup where people will approach you and like they will uh, in a really sexist way try to trash the gender of the person you broke up with, mm. right? And this might be a straight dude thing. This might be a thing that straight dudes do to comfort each other after a breakup, but I kind of think this happens in other places too. And I want to say that uh, every time I've had a breakup and somebody's like, women, right? I want to, uh, it makes me even sadder. Right, mm. or even trashing the person uh, a lot of yes. times. I'm just like, just stop. I don't want to, yeah. Yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but would you devote yourself to religion after? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know why, but I've definitely always thought like, oh, if I was in medieval times, I would be a monk and I would be, cause I was like, I would like that lifestyle. Cause I would draw an illuminated manuscript nice. and I would brew beer and I'm like, I'd, I'd get into both those things. Yeah, you like, put it that that's way. how that's I would survive. Good. That's how I would survive middle ages. Sure. Yeah. In those days, it's a guaranteed <laughs> roof over your head. Yeah. Seems like the the path towards survival I'd be best at then. I'd be more into like a cryogenically freezing me. So it's like I just had a bad breakup. <laughs> Put me in deep freeze for like a century, so I don't know anyone. And when I wake up, I can have a new a new start with, with everything. Just wow. just deep freeze me for a while. <laughs> Let the person who broke up with me live and die. The the Buffy's boyfriend's tech boyfriend technique of like just leaving town you like take that to the next yeah. level you're like that's intense that's what love is dennis it's intense and and sometimes you just can't move on uh all right so i get for story reasons why it's helpful to be able to clear the space and have maybe two characters talking because most scenes are actually about two characters talking even if there's 70 characters in the scene um but for whatever reason there was a trigger for me when sander says you know figure this out without me and walks off because I don't have that ability. <laughs> it, that's a superpower, right? Does anyone else have the ability to say, figure this out without me, and then walk yeah. off? <laughs> I can do it. I do it. I walk away from situations pretty often, I think. Uh, it sounds like some healthy boundaries. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? You got to have some boundaries. Yeah. All right. Uh, those are good questions, guys. Uh, let's do some themes and deep stuff. Deep stuff. Uh, John, uh, describe what you mean here. 
Okay, uh, just I really so this there's this scene uh, where Spike uh, is talking to the mannequin of Buffy mm. with the wig on, and uh, he goes through this entire range of emotions from trying to be like apologetic and sweet to being really angry and like punching the mannequin's head off and whatever he does, and then like going back and then resetting and trying to be sweet again. And I feel like there's a lot in there about what a crush is when you have it, which is that it, you are, you know, you're 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 running a little simulation in your head of the other person, right? Uh, it's like it's like emulating a Nintendo on your PC, right? It's like it's not the real thing, and so um, it's and because of that, it's you know, it's it's it, it, that's why it's not love, right? That's why crushes aren't love. There, there's this there's this complete internal thing that you do, and you see Spike do that, and that's why Spike, I would like to say, I do not think is in love with Buffy. He is, he has a uh, overwhelming crush, which is entirely something that he's, is between his idea about what the Slayer is, his ideas about power or whatever, like weird thing. And it's all internal to Spike. Yeah, we totally didn't talk about this scene in noticings and trivia at all. Uh, like I wondered while watching it, I was like, was this scene supposed to read as funny or creepy? Um, that's my whole thing with spike on this watch through is there's so much spike stuff that is like you, I think it's played for laughs, but is if you, if you just think about it slightly is like really creepy and awful. Well, between this and the last episode, I mean, he's basically pulled what would be like some weird John Hughes shit where, you know, he tried to basically shame and embarrass Riley last up. I mean, successfully shame and embarrass Riley and then push that to the ultimatum. Like, that's like, that's bad behavior. And he's like now in this weird shame spiral of like trying to figure out how to get back with Buffy, but he was never with her. Uh, this It's very, it feel like it's comedy. I feel like it's supposed to read as comedy. I think all a lot of Spike stuff is. Yeah. But it is that weird like 80s John Hughes mm-hmm. style comedy where it's like unforgivable yeah. now. But at the time it's like, oh, you know, if you try hard enough and bother someone enough, they'll date you. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the show's ultimate opinion about this. Like, I don't know why they haven't staked Spike. Like, <laughs> they they literally staked, him, staked him last episode and then didn't stake him. And like, not sure why. Not sure why he's still around. <laughs> Serves no purpose. That's a sort of like... He's just, he has more charisma than anybody else on the show, unfortunately. So I feel like they have to keep the character around. <laughs> oh, so your charisma... Your Christmas so high they have to keep you. Is that how the show operates? Because that's why Giles is around. He keeps well, rolling these really high charisma rolls. He's like <laughs> natural twenty, baby. Yeah, that's sort of like John Hughes' romantic feelings. Uh, is that kind of like abstract thinking where you don't really think about the details as much. You don't think about what the other person's thinking and things like that. And and if we take this scene, you have to sort of if you think outside of the scene on its own, you have to think about well, at some point he like was like, oh, what I need is a mannequin. And, oh, it's got to have a blonde wig because it's <laughs> Buffy. And and this <laughs> that th- those scenes make it suddenly a lot more creepy when you're thinking of him gathering the supplies to like... Well, we've, yeah, we've actually seen him through previous episodes gather these. Oh, really? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. perfect. Great. And it, and it read as totally normal, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they play for laughs because he's like apologetic. Yeah. You know, what were you He's just breaking into me? Buffy's house Ugh. to steal sweaters. Yeah. Mm. Oh boy, that's even. I didn't even realize that part of it. <laughs> it's some weirdness. Uh, the thing I also thought about during that scene, I was like, 
Why do mannequins have such prominent nipples? Oh, man. I typed this during our episode because when we were talking about how awful Willow is, I was thinking about that Willow doesn't really see Anya as a person. Mm. And like, like to the point where even Anya is like, I am. She has to defend her humanness. She's like, I am a human. Um, And I think that's really fucked up of Willow. Uh, And I, I guess it just leads to this whole thing of like within this world, like the classes of humanity. And like not treating monsters as like people or as having the same rights and feelings as people, which is like a big part of like how this show needs to function in order to kill them. But uh, like it's like there's an extension of that Mm -hmm. when it comes to like a character like Anya, who is both a demon and a person. This is where as a show, I think Angel handles this better because they have Wolfram and Hart with their magical defenses. I know that's a silly thing to bring up again, but it's the same problem where demons exist in the world of Buffy. And in last episode, for instance, there's the, you know, vampire den, however we described it in the last episode. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole again. But uh, the. (laughs) But there are these there's this world where demons exist, but they're not acknowledged or considered to be a part of society. There's world where magic exists, but it's not considered to be like normal it's still abnormal but it's clearly normal and like this show has doesn't want to normalize for those things versus angel totally normalizes for those things where magic is real and a part of the world and this one still wants to be not a part of the world and ditto demons are abnormal they're aberrations like send the jungle team to destroy them meanwhile there's demons everywhere in the world of angel i don't see a lot of swat teams so i don't know it's just the show hasn't made up its mind about that wants to keep this playful vibe of like discovery, like oh, we're discovering a lot of these things for the first time. And that's a lot of the power and playfulness of this world is like, oh, there's a troll. We've never seen a troll. What are trolls like? Let's figure it mm-hmm. out. It's not like, let's go to troll town. No, no. Trolls are new. <laughs> like, it's all like fish out of water for that uh-huh. world of Buffy. Like, it's never truly an established universe. Uh, to go somewhere really weird, it's not appropriate. But I think it's more like Buffy is kind of like the Matrix where, you know, Buffy is like Neo. She's learning the world. We learn the world along with her and we're always a fish out of water. And Angel's kind of like Matrix Reloaded where it's like we've been there for a bit. There's no acknowledgement that the the Matrix problems exist. We're all about Zion bullshit. And like we, we're like not even don't oh, even have care. To watch the Matrix trilogy to understand what Mike's talking about. <laughs> I actually weirdly watched Buffy or Buffy Reloaded Buffy Matrix Reloaded, Reloaded um, like this week while I was drawing. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Thank um. you. Thank you, Dennis. Yes. There like, are people like is, us. Like, that's a weird thing in Reloaded where they're like, we're spending so much time with Zion and Zion's political problems and like the theology around this like last human settlement. But, like, yeah. And the Matrix is just this thing that only Neo and Ma- and Morpheus care about. And everybody else is like, yeah, we have to build up our defenses. He's like, but the magic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for letting us do that, Dennis. Uh, let's talk recommendations. Recommendations. Um, so since there's a troll in this episode and I looked through Buffy Rex and I'd never recommended Troll 2 before, apparently I must have recommended it before we Hmm. were officially keeping track on Letterboxd. Um, but if you haven't seen Troll 2, you should. It's fun. Her. 
it's uh you know a really good bad movie and uh then there's a documentary about it called best worst movie that uh my friend uh blair starrett's in a bunch and i'm actually in a crowd scene for that oh really i was in a movie back in 1989 it's called troll 2 and it's become known as the worst movie of all time Really? Yes. Well, I laughed in about the middle of the movie. It was so bad. I maybe hoped it wouldn't be as bad as it was, um, but it was. I had no idea what it all meant or what I was doing or what I was saying. By every conceivable measure, this is a bad film. Oh my gosh, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. So, but it's about the the fandom for this weird bad movie um, and the history of it. So those are my. Oh, and then uh, Troll Hunter, which. Um, Not to be confused with the series Troll Hunters, which is the Guillermo del Toro cartoon. Troll Hunter is the Norwegian uh, send up to um, found footage uh, in this world where giant trolls like like that range from like God or from King Kong to Godzilla size exist in Norway. And uh, uh, when I first saw this movie, I thought it was amazing. And I also thought it was the end of the found footage mm. genre because I'm like, they did it. They finished yeah. it. This is the funniest one. They can't keep going from there. And that was like. 2012 or something and they're still making them i remember that one having a lot of really amazing kind of <clears throat> scenes where you kind of see how they blend in with the environment and things like that and it kind of makes it believable that these things would exist but you wouldn't know it you know yeah uh so those are my recs uh who else says some uh i want to add just add on uh, a recommendation of the michelle gondry movie uh be kind rewind <laughs> When you're walking down the street yeah. and you see a little ghost, what, what you gonna do about Ghostbusters? What? What? What is that? That's the Ghostbusters theme song. No. Because it's got some great, like, the shopkeeper is out and then everything goes wrong <laughs> mischief. Uh, and it's also just one of my favorite movies of all time. I really love that movie. Uh, it's got Jack Black in it, but don't let that spoil it for you. <laughs> Wait, do we uh, not like Jack Black now? I whatever. I just feel like Jack Black does the same performance in every movie, and he's doing it in this one too. There was a Jack Black moment where we all got it a little too much. I agree. Yeah, but past that it's, now. it's been years, and like we can we can bring Jack Black back, right? <laughs> back in black. <laughs> Meet Jack Black. It's also got most definite. So you know, balances yes. out. Yes. Joey, do you have any recs? Um. Let's see. How about talking about trolls and things? Um, the Hilda comic books. Uh, they've got some great trolls and stuff. And there's a net Netflix animated series, but which is great too. But I would specifically recommend checking out the comics. They're really great. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I actually have not read those comics, but they look amazing. They're really good. All right. Uh, let's move on to predictions. Virgin Predictions. Okay, Michael. So at the moment, you are at a 63.09% overall accuracy. And for this season, you are at a 68.75. And we have a few predictions we'd like to address. So first of all, at the very beginning of this season, Michael, uh, you predicted that Giles will visit England. And so he has. So I think we can all agree that that's a confirmation. Well done. I don't think he should have, but yes, I'm glad this is confirmed. Michael, you predicted a few episodes ago, just a couple, that Spike will have a pile of Buffy clothes in his apartment. Uh, 
Oh well, no, you're gonna say it's not a pile? We could argue <laughs> <a> pile. <laughs> we could argue that Spike lives in a crypt and not an apartment. <laughs> I I he think we should confirm this one. There. What are you uh, what are you smoking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I finally have what do you think? We can, we can confirm this one, yeah? Yeah, we can confirm this. I've never been a fan of being like overly pedantic about wordplay. I've been a <laughs> fan of being like just cruel in general. Uh. <laughs> okay. So that is two confirmations uh for you, Michael. Thus, uh your overall score has gone from a 63.09 to a 63.40. Oh. And your score for the season has gone from a 68.75 to a 72.22. C's, baby. <laughs> yeah, you, you moved from D to C territory for the, uh, for the season. All right, well, I have more you know, predictions, of course. Let's hear them. So, all right. Willow's going to screw up another spell. Don't know what it is. It's just going to happen. They can't let go of this character situation. She will screw up another spell. That's a real generic prediction, but I want the point. I'm going to take it. A little bit harder to predict. What's the Watcher Council going to do? I think the Watcher Council will kidnap Dawn. Third prediction, I think a Watcher Council member will be murdered by Glory. If more than one Watcher Council is murdered, or then it, I want this to still count, okay? Uh, and we can get into the pedantic argument of, oh, well, they, she killed a lot of them. At least one Watcher Council member will be murdered by Glory. Period. <laughs> At least one. I wouldn't argue with you about that. You say now, but future John <laughs> is unreliable. Future John will forget this conversation and only read the quote. Only read the sentence. <laughs> uh, Riley will return from Belize. And, and this is a dumb one to combine, but I'm doing it anyway. Riley will return from Belize and Buffy will have moved on. So that means if he returns and she hasn't moved on, you do not get the point. Well, that's because I have a separate prediction, which is my super prediction, which is Riley will return for one episode. That's your super? Yeah. My super, yeah. And I know it's like, well, he's here for three episodes, so you lose. Uh, I, I don't think he's at least one episode. He's, he's just got to return. They got to wrap this up. Buffy's got to say goodbye. It's not going to work out. Whatever this, she's got to say, she's got to say it. We got to move on. So the, 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 predict, the super prediction is Riley will return for at least one episode. At least one episode. And I would say, I would add more complications to this, but I'm not going to because that's dumb. But I would also say like, and he will not be in the credits for that episode, you know, like the opening credits. But like, just Riley will return for one episode. At okay. least one episode. The new predictions have been entered into the prediction log. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, uh, I've been uh, Dennis St. John. Uh, I'm at D-E-N-I-S-C-U-M-I-X. Uh, my book, uh, Land of Many Monsters and Many More Monster Tales, and uh, my old book, Amelia, a Monsters and Girls book, are available wherever the internet is found. Uh, and I'm working on new creature comic creations, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram or my Patreon to find out more about that. Uh, Joey, uh, where can people check out your stuff and hear your voice? Uh, yeah, I, my artwork can be seen at tragicplanet.com. That's tragic-planet.com. And uh, the URL that looks good but is difficult to explain. And then um, my Twitter is at Joey Weiser. Weiser is spelled W-E-I-S-E-R, like the beer, no relation. And um, Joey Weiser Comics is my Instagram handle uh, if you want to check that out. 
Um, and uh, please check out my graphic novels, including Ghost Hog, my brand new book um, from Oni Press. And um, as for where they can hear me, um, I co-host a Japanese film club podcast called Toho Yaro. And uh, that has its own t- Twitter account that you can follow and you can subscribe and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, please check that out if, you, if it sounds fun to you. Cool. All right. Uh, so thank you one and all for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Uh, you can visit our website, BuffyVirgin.com, for links to our blog, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, reach out. Uh, we love to hear from you. And don't forget to rate and review us on the podcast listener of your choice, which is no longer iTunes. And we'll see you in hell.